You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, uh, reacting to Arsenal's 4-0 defeat at Anfield. Um, feeling a bit downbeat, feeling a little bit frustrated, feeling disappointed as is natural, you know, when your team gets absolutely piped. And I think during this show, I, I want to make sure that we do the 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 whole situation and the game in isolation justice um, in the sense of, I think we need to split the two into two different topics and two different discussions. I think one is, you know, where we are as a team, what this means, what it taught us, what we can take from it going forward. And the other thing that we need to discuss is this fixture in isolation and what went wrong today and what the problems were today. So I think, the point I'm trying to make, and I know I've maybe gone off a little bit kind of on a tangent right at the beginning of the podcast, but the point I'm trying to make is that in order to assess Arsenal fairly, we need to assess the bigger picture. And that bigger picture is that we are three points off of the top four and we're fifth in the Premier League, which is a position that if you'd have asked me at the start of the season, would I have been happy with at this point? I would have said yes. I'm sure most of you would have said yes. But also, we have to acknowledge that we're nowhere near as good as the likes of Liverpool. And we have to realise and understand what the problems are, what the shortcomings are, what the differences are between Arsenal and teams of Liverpool's level at this moment in time. So I want to make a, a point on this episode of, of doing that and of doing that fairly. We need to just, after today, after tomorrow, we need to just kind of put this to the back of our minds, focus on Newcastle. And if we can go out and beat Newcastle next week and we start another run, then we do that and we build and we take the lessons from tonight, take the lessons from today's defeat and we move forward. I think it's really, really important that we don't dwell on this. And I'll explain the reasons why. And I know there'll be people in the chat that completely disagree. I know there'll be people that do agree. So, um, you know, we'll get into some of your thoughts, some of your comments a little bit later on in the show. Um, I can tell just by the reaction to some of my tweets this evening that it is a divisive topic. It is a divisive subject, um, whether or not Arsenal are actually progressing. I said in the preview show yesterday that lots of people were calling this match the litmus test. Lots of people were looking at this match and saying, well, this is going to tell us categorically where Arsenal are at. And I think it's taught us something. It's come as a bit of a reality check. It's reminded us that we're still nowhere near where we want to be if we want to be competing right at the top of the Premier League. But does it change the grand picture? Does it change the big sort of or the bigger outlook on, on where Arsenal are? I'm not sure that it does all that much, but I'll come on to explain why during this show. Big hello to everybody who's watching us live on this Saturday evening. Big hello to those of you who'll be watching this back on playback. And of course, uh, audio listeners who will be listening via major podcast stores. Um, love to every single one of you. And thank you for joining me because I know it's not always easy to kind of listen to Arsenal talk after uh, a frustrating, demoralising defeat like that. But you guys always turn up. You guys always show up. You guys always tune in. And that is reflected in the numbers. So I'm honestly so, so grateful. But without further ado, let's get into this fixture. And I guess the best place to probably start is the team selection. Um, you know, we talked a lot yesterday about the team selection. I think there were a couple of areas where you could have a discussion. I thought yesterday, you know, I know we'll come on to talk about Aubameyang and Lacazette in a bit, but I think most people would have wanted those two both in the side. Most people would have wanted Partey and Sambi in the middle of the park. Most people would have picked Smith-Rowe and Saka on either flank. Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel. And I guess the probably most contentious area was at left-back. Nuno Tavares or Kieran Tierney. That was the debate. That was the discussion that we were having throughout the week. And I think actually the majority... Um, 
uh, of people that certainly the people that took part in our polls uh, felt that Tavares had earned the right to play and earned the right to stay in the team. Of course, he, he went on to have a pretty poor game in the second half, at least anyway. And um, and we'll come on to talk about him individually in a bit. But I'm always really reluctant to kind of, you know, really go kind of deep or or really stick the knife in on the manager when it comes to the team selection, if it is or is pretty much the same team that I would have picked, the same team that I named in my preview. That would make me a hypocrite, right? So I think looking at the team selection, I don't think anybody was particularly worried or concerned or, or had any real strong objections to the side that Mikel Arteta named. And I think that's important when we come on to talk about his part in today's defeat and his role in today's defeat. We started off, I thought, quite well. Um, I think we looked quite comfortable. I think we looked very calm and we didn't look like we were panicking in the back line, which was something that seemed foreign to us, you know, given how we've played at Anfield over the years to see Arsenal uh, sort of looking quite um, happy to at times drop off and, and invite Liverpool's press on and hope that we could play our way through it and then hopefully create an advantage or an overload somewhere further up the pitch. At times we squeezed further up the pitch. And I talked in the preview show yesterday about my kind of uh, curiosity as to how Mikel was going to approach the game. And I actually thought that we saw a bit of both. Now, I'll come on to talk about it tomorrow in a little bit more detail in the tactical analysis show, because I think that actually we probably got caught in two minds at times and there wasn't a, a distinct game plan, maybe, I'm not saying for sure, but maybe that played a part in us being a little bit toothless, a little bit kind of indecisive in certain moments. I felt like at times um, it was very clear that we were trying to play out from the back and suck them in. And there would be other times where I'd see Aubameyang and Lacazette pressing the centre-halves or, or kind of half-pressing the centre-halves and then Smith-Rowe and Saka right up alongside them. And then as a consequence of the midfield stepping up, the defence would step up. And I was sitting there racking my brain and I was going, "What? what is it that they've been instructed to do today? Is it to come out and squeeze Liverpool up and, and be a little bit more aggressive and play on the front foot and try to keep them as far away from our goal as possible? Or was it to sink that bit deeper and, and almost create that compact unit with the two banks of four and, and Aubameyang and Lacazette just in front of them, trying to kind of hold Liverpool off. I feel like at times we got caught in two minds between the two things. And, and again, we'll talk about that in more detail on the tactical analysis show, but I think that's something to bear in mind. But as I said, I thought we started the game quite well. I thought we, um, without really offering much goal threat of our own, you know, limited Liverpool, you know, they, they forced a couple of really good stops out of Aaron Ramsdale. And that was kind of in the lead up to the goal. And you felt like the goal was coming when it eventually came. But I think, you know, to expect your goalkeeper to play at Anfield against a talented Liverpool side with a front three of Jota, Mane, Salah, and not have to do anything, not have to make any saves, felt like a bit of a kind of uh, best case scenario slash delusion. So I think I, I understood that we were going to have to be good defensively. I understood that Ramsdale was probably going to be called into action. But I think for me, having stayed in the half for so long, and I think if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head, and I'll just double check this. Uh, yeah, 39th minute was when Liverpool broke the deadlock. And having defended the way we did up until the 39th minute, which was okay, there were a couple of moments, but it's, that was relatively comfortable, relatively solid. To concede a goal the way we conceded it, for me, was just so, so frustrating because you look at that and, and a lot of the talk in the build-up was um, about, it was about Arsenal and their set pieces and how Arsenal have improved in the set piece department and how Liverpool are vulnerable in that area and how it was an area that we should be looking to expose, an area or a weakness in Liverpool's side that we should be looking to exploit. And actually to then concede a goal the way we did to break the deadlock and we all know that was the most important goal felt to me just oh I just I just wanted to smash my head against the wall honestly and to see little Sadio Mane popping up in between I think it was Gabriel and Tomiyasu is hard to swallow it's hard to take it's hard to see um 
you know, when you're talking about two huge guys in the heart of your defense, you expect them to be able to clean clean that up. But it was an inch perfect delivery, Trent Alexander Arnold. And if the delivery's right, then you know, that can happen in football. I just think for me, you know, set pieces are an opportunity to set yourself. And you're not defending a cross coming in from the right-hand side after they've created an overload and you're scrambling back and you're tired because you've just sprinted 30, 40 yards and you might switch off and you might not be aware of what's going on around you. From a set piece, you have the opportunity and the time to set yourself. And so for me, when you defend them so poorly, there's never really any excuse. And, and that was how I felt with that goal. And the timing of it was just awful because it had we taken Liverpool in at nil-nil at half time, I think the Anfield crowd would have been quite flat. I think the Anfield crowd would have, you know, not played such a big part. And a lot of people pointed to the incident between Arteta and Klopp and, and what that did to the atmosphere. And yeah, look, it raised it a little bit. You know, it raised it immediately in the aftermath of that incident. But if you then see out the half and get to the half time at nil-nil, then that rise or peak, if you like, in the atmosphere disappears pretty quickly again. But we couldn't do that. And and that for me was, you know, the, the hardest thing to kind of swallow today. You know, we made some individual mistakes later on and we'll talk about those in a bit. But the nature of the first goal to me was just really like a kick in the balls. Like, honestly, I honestly felt like that at the time. Um, some people uh, want to make more of that incident between Arteta and, and Klopp, probably than what it actually was. Um, I actually think Mikel had a point. I think that Sadio Mane was um, toeing the line from the very off tonight and was very, very fortunate to go in the book when he did and not before. Um you know, it was good to see that he wasn't immune to a yellow card when the card was eventually shown to him. But he was leading with his forearm, going into aerial challenges. He was fouling people constantly. He was kicking people off of the park. Uh, he was kicking people when the ball had gone away. And it was it was one of those where if it was at the Emirates Stadium and we made a big song and dance about it, maybe Michael Oliver would have taken some action and maybe he'd have taken it a bit sooner. I'm not saying that Sadio Mane should have been sent off today, but what I am saying is that, you know, he was pushing the boundaries in the way that only a home player, and I'm going to say it, a Liverpool player or a Man United player can. You know, it genuinely felt that way. And I was glad, I was delighted to see Mikel Arteta making his case on the touchline. And I love that passion and fight that he showed in sort of not backing down from Jurgen Klopp because Jurgen Klopp, he can be quite intimidating. We've seen him kind of get under the skin of other managers over the last year or so. If you remember Frank Lampard uh, and him had a really heated exchange, didn't they, at Anfield when Chelsea and Liverpool met. Um, but yeah, I, I love that from Arteta, you know, and look, it, it doesn't make a the blandest bit of difference to the scoreline or the result or the outcome. And I don't buy into this, that if Arteta didn't react and the atmosphere wouldn't have gone up and Liverpool wouldn't have broke the deadlock. It's absolute, absolute nonsense. I like to see my manager being on the touchline um, and, and appealing and making his case. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one where you look back at it and you go, oh, well, well come on, Mikel, you know, you're a bit embarrassing here. Don't know what on earth it is that you're complaining about. It's a nothing incident. It was an incident. And there was a challenge from Sadio Mane with which he led with an arm. And we got penalised. The free kick got given the other way. And, and that's why he got so frustrated. That's why he got so irate. And, you know, as I say, I, I like to see that from my manager. I like to see that passion. I like to see that fight. And I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of football. You've got two guys there that really, really want to win, really, really want what's best for their sides. And sometimes emotions will spill over and uh, sometimes temperatures will will hit an all-time high. And that's exactly what happened. And I don't think it's much more than that. Mikel Arteta was asked about it in his post-match press conference. And he said, look, I was defending my team. Jürgen was defending his team. And that's that, you know, and, and it's done and dusted and it's under the carpet. Actually, Jurgen Klopp, I thought, was a little bit embarrassing in his Sky interview. Um, and I haven't seen all the interviews yet because um, I was watching the game out and I've not long got back. But I did see Jurgen Klopp's Sky interview and he was like, it was absolutely not a foul on Sadio Mane. And you're just making yourself look like a twat there. Because I know 
you know, we're talking about managers defending their teams and defending their players. And I've got no issue with that in the heat at the moment. But if you're, you know, if you're going to pretend that something happened, um, you know, if you're going to pretend that something happened um, that didn't, or, or you're going to pretend that the incident unfolded in a completely different way to to what actually occurred, then I think that you need to, you know, you need to have a long, hard look at yourself. And I found Jurgen Klopp to be quite irritating and quite prickly and quite different, actually, um, since Liverpool won the league. I don't know if it's a, an arrogance thing. I, I really don't know what it is, but I find him a lot less likeable nowadays, even outside of the whole Arsenal thing. But yeah, um, you know, that was the first half. And I thought we did OK in the first half. You know, I did. And we went in at the break. And I think actually the last few minutes of the first half after Liverpool had scored, it felt like the pressure had been kind of lifted off of our shoulders a little bit. And if you noticed, Arsenal ventured forward a couple of times, um, a lot more times, basically, than they did uh, in the entirety of the first half prior to the goal. So I think it, it felt to me at the time like, OK, this is not ideal. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. We're a goal down. But maybe that takes the pressure off. And maybe that releases us from the shackles a little bit and gives us the opportunity to play a little bit more open, be a little bit more expansive and try to, uh, you know, impose ourselves on the game. But I think there were a number of reasons why we couldn't today, um, aside from the obvious fact that Liverpool are a much better side than us. And we'll come on to discuss some of those in a minute. Um, I just want to address this uh, super chat from Andy Land. Andy, thank you, mate. Uh, for your very kind super chat donation, he says free hit FC still ain't competing two years in Arteta. Look, let me let me address this now. And and listen, Andy, I I appreciate your view. I appreciate your opinion. You're you're completely entitled to it, and I definitely appreciate your support of the channel and of the podcast. But this was a free hit, and the definition of a free hit is a game in which you're not expected to win. And if you get something out of it, it's a bloody bonus. If you don't, then it's normal service resumed and you get on with it. And part of the reason why today was a free hit was because going into the game, we all knew that Liverpool were miles better than us. And we all know if you're realistic and you're fair about this team's development and where Arsenal are at, then we knew that we didn't have a right to win today. We knew that if we did win, it was going to be a shock. It was going to be a surprise. That's what a free hit is, right? And add to that that West Ham lost today, that Leicester lost today, that Brighton lost today. Um, teams that people two, three weeks ago were telling me are miles better than us. Then you have to see today as a little bit of a free hit. That doesn't excuse certain elements of the performance. That doesn't mean that we don't criticize and we don't look back um, and we don't, uh, you know, analyze what went wrong. But did you or did any Arsenal fan, can any Arsenal fan say with their hand on their heart that, you know, it was a, a game in which they expected to come away with all three points? Because if you do say that, then you're a liar. And if you do say that you expected three points, then what you are doing is you are living in a world purely made of delusion. And if you set your standards way above reality, you'll always be frustrated. You'll always be disappointed. You'll always be upset. Uh, you know, Inter's in the chat as well. And he um, he is someone that's super critical. And listen, in Inter's case, and I'm sorry to dig you out, mate, but th this is ridiculous, right? You have literally been in the chat waiting since August, since the end of August, when Arsenal last lost the game in the Premier League to come out pop your head above the parapet and slag off Arsenal and dig out Arsenal and have a go and moan and complain about we're back to square one and we're back to where we are. Listen, bigger picture, fifth place in the Premier League, three points off of the top four. In our last nine Premier League games, we have been beaten once and we've been beaten once by arguably one of the best teams in Europe. That's the only game we've lost. We've won six of the others and drawn two. That's a pretty damn good record. And if you can maintain that level of form over the course of a season, you'd probably be up there challenging for the title. And 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 that's that's the reality, you know. And, and Inter says, I've always been here, Harry. Yeah, you've always been in the chat, but you've been waiting for this moment to say. And I know you have because the minute Arsenal conceded a fourth goal, you were commenting on a previous video saying, 
who's going to apologize to me? It got popped up on my phone. <laughs> so that that's the point. It was all, you know, what I'm really struggling with, and, and look, apologies that we're pausing the kind of talk about the match to address this. What I find astonishing about some Arsenal fans nowadays is the desire they have to slag off their team. The desire they have to wait for an opportunity to then really go in. And it's like you're sitting there building it all up so that you can have a go. And actually, that's not how I was brought up. That's not how I was brought up as an Arsenal supporter. I was brought up to back my team all the time, always support them, always follow them, always look on the bright side, always feel like we could improve, that we could get better because that is what, um, you know, supporting a team is all about. You know, we can't get bogged down after losing this game against a, a very strong Liverpool side and decide that all of a sudden all the great work that's happened over the last eight Premier League weeks, um, you know, has just disappeared and evaporated. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Too many of you are just desperate for Arsenal to fail so that you can have something to moan about. I don't know where that comes from. Is it a lack of anything else going on in your day-to-day -day life? I and apologise if I offend people. I don't care because this drives me crazy. Every time Arsenal lose a game, it's, you know, it's as if the world has ended, as if other teams in world football don't lose football matches. Look at bloody Manchester United. Chelsea, who are supposedly this incredible side that, and you know, they're going to run away with the Premier League this season. They've lost a the game this season. So have Liverpool. You know, Manchester City have lost two. West Ham, who are supposedly miles better than us, well, they've only lost one game less than us all season. So the point I'm trying to make here is that if you are going to overreact every time Arsenal lose, then why do you bother supporting the team? I don't get it. Why do you waste your time? If, if you're that feeling that disconnected and that kind of, what's the word? Uh, you know, disenfranchised with what's going on. Why do you still pay attention? Why do you still give up your time? I, I don't get it. I literally don't get it. Um, moving on and, and people, you know, there are people in the chat saying, you know, don't, don't fuel this. Don't kind of respond to these kind of comments. No, I, I think it's really important that the fan culture around our club is, is sorted out because it's horrible. It's embarrassing. And I'll tell you what, when that Arsene Wenger documentary is uh, is available to a wider audience and you people have seen it and everybody's seen it, then we'll probably do a little bit more of a, a discussion about it, um, you know, and, and we can kind of react to some of that stuff. But what I would say is if you watch that, where somebody completely independent of the football club in Gabriel Clark has um, has almost gone back and and kind of shone a, a, a light on the way we as a fan base in general are perceived by the rest of the world or were perceived to be acting, particularly during that time when Arsene Wenger's tenure was coming to an end, you will see how embarrassing and how pathetic it is. And for me, that should be a, a kind of that should be what sparks us as a fan base to weed out this crap from our fan base because it's embarrassing, it's toxic, it's negative. And look, if 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 you were with a, a, a girlfriend or a, a wife and she made you miserable every single day and you never saw any of the positives about her, why would you stay in that relationship? You wouldn't. So if you feel that way about Arsenal to the point where you cannot be bothered, like, like you cannot ever be positive about it, you cannot ever enjoy any element of it. Like we win and you're saying it, we won because we should win and we should be beating these teams. And then we lose and you say, well, we should be winning this game. Then like, why do you stick with it? I don't get it. Like, I just, it baffles me. It baffles me. But moving on to the second half of the game, um, because uh, there is lots of um, lots of points I want to raise with regards to that second half performance, because I thought the second half performance was poor. Right. There, there's no getting away from that. And again, I want to like make that point that I made right at the top of the show that we need to make sure that when we're discussing this weekend, what we've seen that we are able to kind of divide it 
this game in isolation and the bigger picture. And I think let's start with this game in isolation or the second half in isolation. Too many naiveties were on show. Inexperience killed us. Um, Inexperience, bad decision-making, perhaps being overwhelmed by the occasion, the atmosphere and a number of other factors is what really, um, you know, pushed some of these young players over the edge and led to them you know, losing their way and making some of these mistakes. And, and we'll come on to discuss the individuals at the, at the minute. I just want to quickly pick up this super chat before I lose it. Um, Sports Genius uh, says, I agree, Arteta could have gone back five, but we move. Um, uh, see, yeah, look, you could have gone back five, uh, but I don't think the formation was the the issue today. I don't think the, the formation was the problem. I don't, you know, we're 1-0 down because we've conceded from a set piece. Did we concede from the set piece because we didn't play a back five? Or did we concede from the set piece because the delivery was excellent and the marking was bad? And the marking can be bad in any formation. It only takes someone to lose half a yard um, on someone and, and they've beaten you and they're past you and, and they're in the, you know, they're in front of goal and they can head home. So I don't think that, when you think about how the game got away from us, i.e. the first goal and then the way we conceded the second, I don't think you can pin that on the formation. I think I think that's harsh, but that, that's just my opinion. Um, but you look at, for example, Nuno Tavares and the mistake he made in the lead up to the second goal. And on the one hand, I thought what he did by bringing the ball out of the corner the way he did was actually quite brave. And it told me that this lad has bags of confidence and he's playing you know, at a really high level and he feels like he's at that level where he can kind of channel that confidence into into bringing the ball out and trying to get us going. And, and you know, sometimes what you can do at the back is you can pass too much, if you like, and that can lead to uncertainty and then a misplaced pass under pressure can lead to you giving up possession. And what Nuno Tavares did, I thought, was try to take the initiative and say, no, but hold on a minute. We need to get out of this corner. I'm going to do it myself. I've got the power. I've got the pace. I've got the skill and I'm going to carry the ball out. And then he just misjudges the pass that he plays in field, goes to Diego Jota, who's a fantastic player. And, um, you know, and, and he does what he does. He's incredibly well composed um, and it's a brilliant finish from him. I think with Tavares, though, this is a learning curve. You know, this is one of those moments where you've gone from feeling really, really confident, so confident that you want to do what Nuno Tavares done, which is bring the ball out and then roll a pass into a teammate to try and get your team out of trouble. But that kind of overconfidence in that particular instance um, led to him, I think, making a mistake. That plus a lack in concentration, not a lack of awareness, with regards to what was going on around him. So I think it's a fine line uh, to kind of toe. You you go to places like Anfield, do you want to be really confident, really ambitious, gung-ho, um, you know, and, and take the game to your opponents? But then you're leaving yourself exposed in other areas. So you have to, while you need to be confident and ambitious and brave, at the same time, you need to understand your shortcomings and you need to find a middle ground between those two mindsets so that you can get the best possible results and the best possible outputs. Um, I agree with Tabrez in the in the chat. It was brave from Nuno, but it was also stupid. And the two things can absolutely be true. Um, you know, he, he made a mistake. It, the, the timing of the mistake was what really killed it us for me because, you know, again, we started the second half right at the you know, in the initial stages of it, looking like we were going to try and force the issue, looking like we were going to try and impose ourselves on the game a little bit. But when you're seven minutes into the second half and that happens, that then kills you. Then you have to go and chase the game. Then you have to open up. Then you have to be more expansive and maybe a more experienced group um, with some more seasoned kind of campaigners would have said at 2-0, right, this is damage limitation now, lads. You know, 2-0 defeat is by no means a disaster at Anfield. They're a very good side. It can happen to anyone. We make sure that we don't concede anymore and we get out of here with at the very, very least, um, you know, a, uh, a respectable result. That didn't happen though. And and the heads dropped and, and our minds went and we just showed all our naiveties in that second half. And, you know, I think People will talk about the team selection. Again, I'm not going to go massive on the team selection because it's very close to the team I would have picked. Probably is the team I would have picked. 
So I'm not going to I'm not going to go too hard on that. But there were certain individuals that didn't perform today. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to be honest about that. If we run through the team, I thought that Ramsdale was was obviously very good, um, made some brilliant saves and kept us in the game for as long as we were in it. Um, Tommy Asu did OK, I thought, today. Um, White and Gabriel were brilliant. Nuno Tavares was very good in the first half, but obviously made that costly mistake at the start of the second half. And then his confidence was shot. You could see it. He played another pass in field at one point that was completely wayward and Liverpool almost broke on that as well. Um, I thought that Lakonga showed naivety at times, again, wanting to sometimes take too many touches in and around the edge of our penalty area, uh, turning himself into trouble at times. And I talked about this following uh, Watford, I think. I, I mentioned that, you know, I appreciate he's young and I acknowledge that he's still developing, still learning, but he does seem to make poor decisions in certain areas. Is it still part of the adaptation to becoming a Premier League player? Can he you know, can he change his mindset? Was he able to do those things in Belgium? And now he's not, and he's getting a little bit exposed, maybe. But I don't think that Albert Sambi Lakonga today was at all helped by Thomas Partey in the midfield. And look, I'm going to put this down to Thomas Partey just not being fit enough because he didn't look fit enough. You know, he, he, I've seen Milk turn quicker than Thomas Partey today in certain instances. I thought he was really, really sluggish. The game just bypassed him. He never got involved, not on the ball. He wasn't effective off the ball. I, I I didn't think that Thomas Partey was very good today. And I thought the fact that they were able to kind of get a foothold in that midfield was what made it essentially one-way traffic for large, large periods. And listen, it's not, you know, it's not to say that Thomas Partey is a crap player. You know, there have been weeks where um, he's been immense, the best player on the pitch. There have been weeks where he's been quite, you know, underwhelming. And today was one of them. And look, we knew that he was a fitness doubt going into the game. And I, I don't know because I'm, I'm not part of the medical team, not privy to any more information than anybody else. But it just felt based on the eye test that he wasn't quite up to the races physically. And if you can't, if you don't have a Thomas Partey to stamp your authority in midfield, then maybe you should play the third midfielder. And it's what I said, um, you know, in the preview show, I said, if Thomas Partey was available, I'd play him and Lokonga. If he wasn't, um, I would have played the third midfield player instead of Alexander Lacazette. Now, of course, Partey was available and he did start the game, but was he at the level that he needed to be? And I think you have to say, based on what we saw today, he wasn't. And look, I don't blame Mikel for taking that risk. I don't blame Arsenal for feeling as though they couldn't compete in this game without Thomas Partey. He's that good a player when he's at it. But in hindsight, and as I always say, hindsight is a wonderful thing and you've got to be careful. Uh, we're kind of going down those rabbit holes too much. I do think that his lack of fitness, along with Lokonga's naivety at times and lack of experience, led to Arsenal being completely dominated in the most important area of the pitch. And I said it a couple of days ago on one of our streams. I said that if there's one concern for me about Arsenal this season and, and what we can achieve and whether or not we can maintain a challenge for a top six, top four plays, it was that midfield area. I feel like Partey is going to have these issues time and time again. I feel like Lekonga's not quite there yet. I feel like Maitland-Niles is not quite there yet. Granite Jack is obviously out injured, but we know that he's got certain limitations as well and he doesn't exactly um, fill the fan base with confidence. So that midfield area is the big area of concern for me. And I think if you're going to get overrun in there, then you've got a serious problem. I think against weaker opposition, you can play Lacazette in the 10 role and you can say to him to tuck in when needs be and, and almost trust that the midfielders behind him will just clean up and do their job, which essentially gives him a bit more freedom. But it just didn't work like that today. Liverpool were too damn good and, and that's the reality. Um, so I didn't think the midfield thing worked. Obviously, people say the left-back choice didn't work because of the mistake, which is understandable. The other thing I didn't think worked at all was uh, Aubameyang and, and Lacazette together. I mean, I mean, I... Look, I've, I've praised the Bamiang a lot recently for kind of digging in, working a lot harder than he has done previously, really um, leading by example. But my word, um, it, it just felt half-hearted today. You know, it felt like 
the press from Arsenal in general. And I, and again, you know, I talked about what we're going to discuss on the tactical analysis show tomorrow. And we will do that because we'll we'll bring up some clips and we'll bring up some graphics to back up these points so that you can get a better picture of what it is I'm trying to explain. But the press was half-hearted. And what you saw today was the contrast between one team who have been playing in a certain way for five, six seasons, who press as good or as well as anybody else in world football. And then a team who do it well sometimes, sometimes don't do it at all and can be very hot and cold with it. I think that was the big, big difference between the two sides. I mean, think about the second half. How many times did Liverpool win the ball high up and then build short counter-attacks off the back of that? How many times were we struggling to beat their press in comparison to them struggling to beat our half-arsed one? So it's, you know, there is a, a massive contrast. I, I said on Twitter that it, in that regard, in terms of the knowing the system inside out, understanding what it is your roles are, it was men against boys. You know, it really was. I thought physically in some ways it was men against boys as well, where Arsenal just didn't, um, you know, just didn't live up to the, the, or didn't step up to the plate, didn't fight, didn't battle, didn't work hard enough. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's one of those things. It's a it's a reality check. Sometimes you need those. Need to keep our feet on the ground. Uh, disappointing, frustrating. But as I've already said, if we do end up um, beating Newcastle United next week, then you draw a line under it and you start again. Um, and and. And that's where I'm at. You know, I, it, this is one of those games where I'm obviously upset today. I'm disappointed with what I saw. I'm frustrated. I didn't enjoy it. Not in the slightest. What I enjoy even less is the Arsenal fans who have been waiting since the 28th of August to have a go at the team. And every week have had to keep their mouths shut because the team have proven them wrong by picking up results. I'm not going to enjoy seeing all of those people jump on the bandwagon. My Twitter notifications have already gone mad with people, you know, telling me that I mean, it's uh, tonight I've been called a prick, an arsehole, a knob, um, loads of other stuff from people that don't even know me uh, just because I'm not losing my mind and pulling my hair out because Arsenal lost to one of the best teams in Europe. I think like, every team in world football loses football matches and that's the way football goes. And uh, we've lost one. We've lost one in our last nine, and um, and that's a, a, a substantial improvement for where we were previously. So we take it, we take it on the chin. We learn our lessons. It was an education for some of those young players that were out there tonight, and you know we we need, we need to bounce back quickly. I think that's the most important thing, and then take those lessons forward. And it's listen, you learn more in anything when you fail. I always feel. And what's really, really important is not that you failed the first time, but it's that when you did fail, you took the lessons from it. And I think that, fingers crossed, we will take the lessons from it. We will continue to develop because I do believe that contrary to what happened today, we um, we are developing. We are on the right path. We've got two fantastic centre-halves. We've got a fantastic goalkeeper, very good right-back. We've got a very good left-back in Kieran Tierney and a very young, slightly raw, but very talented left back in Nuno Tavares. We've got the likes of Laconga, who are going to go on to improve. There's no doubt about that. We've got Thomas Partey, who, although he wasn't at the races today, is, is genu generally quite good. Um, Smith, Rowe, Saka, we say enough about them. I, I think the majority of the team is settled now and the majority of the team is 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 talented and is, is on the up. So, you know, it's important, as I keep saying, that you divide the two things and you separate the two things. What went wrong today in this particular fixture in isolation and you review it and you discuss it, which you're all absolutely entitled to do. But then you take a step back and you look at the wider picture. And the bigger picture is that Arsenal are in a much better position in terms of the league than most people expected us to be at this stage. And that signifies progress. You don't win a league title because you you won one game, you win a league title because you won more games than anybody else over the course of 38. That's why you need to look at the bigger picture. You know, you you concede one and you lose one nil. Everybody's coming away from Anfield talking about how resolute we were and how well we fought and how well we battled. And I get that. I understand 
that, you know, that can make people feel better. And I talked about how if we could somehow take a result or, or show a positive performance today, it would help a lot of people in terms of their faith in the current regime, if you want to call them that. But ultimately, whether you lose 1-0 or you lose 20-0, you still lose three points, right? It's, it's only worth three points, however many you can see. So I, I think that that's a, a general thing that people need to kind of remember when they're overreacting to individual football matches and individual results. This wasn't a, a cup final. You know, this was a league game, one of 38 and one that we can quite easily bounce back from, you know, next week with a win over Newcastle United. And then we start another run and we hopefully put another run together that sees us again, continue our good run of form and continue to close on those sides, um, challenging for the European places. So um, that's where I'm at on it. Um, you know, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow angry, pissed off, upset. I'm very, um, very, I was very prepared for this outcome. I think I predicted a 2-0 Liverpool win, which tells you that I didn't think we were going to win the game. I didn't even think we were going to pick up a point. Could we have done with applying a little bit more damage limitation and doing that bit better? Yeah, of course. Um, and it would have been much better. And I think the outlook from a lot of people would have been substantially more positive if we had managed to keep it at 2-0. But this is football and, and things like that happen. And, you know, and that's where we are. You know, that's where we are. Um, does anyone think we can finish in the top three? I don't. I've certainly never said that. Does anyone think that Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea are in a league of their own? I think most people think that. And again, as I said before, and as I said in the um, in the build-up, you know, to this fixture, this was a game where we could take some lessons from and try to um, judge ourselves on, but one that we shouldn't get too caught up in if we got beat, because you know it's 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 a one-off fixture and it doesn't mean all that much. And equally, had we won at Anfield. You wouldn't have had me on here telling you that we're going to win the Premier League. So that's that's the point here, right? If you're not going to go overboard when you win, you don't go overboard when you lose and vice versa. You need to be measured in your review and analysis of each football match and look at the bigger picture. Continue to keep one eye on the bigger picture because that's ultimately what will determine where you finish up, not one-off singular results. So I think it's important that we make sure we're, you know, we're still behind the team we understand, um, you know, we understand where where we are and, and what journey we're on and we uh, judge our team accordingly. Um, Tabrez Rahman in the chat says, nobody's got a certificate certifying them as an authentic Arsenal fan. Chill. Everybody's import entitled to support Arsenal as they like. People who literally wait for an opportunity to slag off the football club that they claim to love and the team that they claim to love are not supporters to me. The, the term support means to support something, right? You support your family, you support your friends. Do you like every single thing they do, every single thing they say? No, but they're your family, they're your friends. You'll call them out on it, but ultimately you'll still support them. Sitting there saying, sack the manager, F the manager, get rid of him. Um, that's not supporting. You wouldn't you wouldn't tell a relative who you're supporting or a friend who you're supporting for a difficult time to F off and get lost and you wouldn't abuse them. And and people claim that their relationship or their love for Arsenal is that strong, yet don't act that way. Um, and, and that's what frustrates me. People say, you know, that people say that we've we've been in this position for a number of years now where we go into these games without hope in hell and it's frustrating and it's disappointing. And I agree with that. But what tells me or told me today that we are progressing was that that apathy wasn't there. You know, when we'd gone to, to Anfield in years gone by and we knew that Arsenal were moving in the completely wrong direction, you know, you can still argue that Arsenal aren't anywhere near where they need to be, but you get, I think that you can at least see a plan and you have to give that plan time to work or to fail. Um, but for me, there wasn't that apathy today. And the way my heart sunk when we conceded that goal reinforced my view that I'm 
that I love this team. I love this club. And I love that I feel that connection to them again, you know, to the likes of Ramsdale, to White, to Gabriel, to Tommy Asu, to Lokonga, to Partey, to Tavares, you know, to Smith Rowe, to Saka, etc. I really feel that buy-in again. I feel that connection. And had we had this been three years ago and we conceded that goal on the stroke of half time, I'd have gone, eh, typical. And I wouldn't have let it, and I wouldn't have felt the way I felt today. But today it really felt like a kick in the balls because I feel invested in this side. And that for me is, uh, is uh, you know, it, that make, reinforces my feeling that although today was horrible and today was difficult to watch, um, you know, it's, um, it's we're still moving in the right direction and we've still got to believe that. And we, there's got to be more failure than just being beaten by Liverpool at Anfield before that pendulum can swing completely back the other way. Right. Because at the start of the season, it was completely we're fucked and we're in the wrong. We're going in the wrong direction. And then after eight, nine games, it's more kind of leaning towards this side where people are feeling a lot more positive, a lot more bought in, a lot more invested. One defeat against a team that are a million miles better than you doesn't just swing it all back that way. And that's that, That's the, the point here. It can't be we win, we're going to win the Premier League, we lose, we're the worst team in the world and Arteta's got to go and all the players have got to go. There needs to be a bit of balance and a, le- a little bit of perspective when looking at this stuff. And, and let me make it clear. When I say that you need to support the team and you need to get behind the team, that's not me saying that you can't be critical of the team. But it's the way in which you're critical of the team, right? I can see, I sat here and I said that I think in hindsight, the decision to play the midfield that he did and to play with Lacazette just behind the Bamiyang was wrong because Partey wasn't fit. That's how I feel having watched that game of football. Partey didn't look at the races. He didn't look like he could cope. He didn't look like he could cover the ground. And that made a massive, massive difference to the way Arsenal performed today in that particular area. And I think that Mikel Arteta got it wrong. But that's me being constructive. I'm offering up a solution to what I felt was the problem. I felt that Martin Odegaard probably should have played instead of Alexander Lacazette in hindsight. I appreciate it's in hindsight, but that's a constructive criticism and a constructive, um, what's the word I'm looking for, suggestion as to what could have been done better. I'm not just saying fuck the manager, fuck the players. What does that do? What does that achieve? Absolutely bloody nothing. And, you know, all I want to see is Arsenal fans together, supporting their team, backing their team. You can have discussions and you can have criticisms and that's absolutely fine. It's the way of which you do it. And the the, the worst thing about it all is that the way people talk about certain individuals, about the club, about other fans on social media, they wouldn't have the balls to do it face to face because I tell you, if I got some of the comments that I get on social media face to face, I would lose my rag. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to to take it the way I take it on social media. I wouldn't just be sitting here having a little bit of a moan about it during my next podcast. If people were standing in my face saying what they say to me via Twitter, I would react. But that's the key. I don't need to react because those people would never do it face to face. And that's what is wrong with the culture. That's what is wrong with, um, you know, with, with the modern day football fan base, if you want to call it that. Everybody feels like because they've got a social media platform, they can say whatever they want without any consequence. Tabra says some people talk different, different backgrounds. We can't judge based on our sensibilities. Toxic people get weeded out eventually. We're all from different backgrounds. I'm from a different background. Other people are from different backgrounds. Manners and respect are taught in every single culture anywhere in the world. And there's no excuse for people having a lack of basic manners and basic respect. you know, this is a, an amazing football club that we all adore um, and that we all want to see progress and we all want to see develop. And I don't see how creating this toxic environment around it off the back of a single defeat, um, you know, is is going to is going to help in any way, shape or form. But just to kind of wrap up my thoughts um, on today, and I'll take a few of your questions um, before we wrap it up. 
disappointing overall. Um, competed for the first 30, 40 minutes. Did quite well, um, you know, to stay in the game. Although, you know, you you felt that we would need to do a lot more if we were going to have any chance of progressing and, and maybe potentially nicking it. We conceded the goal, a silly goal to concede, in my opinion, a disappointing goal to concede. The nature of it, very, very frustrating. Went in at halftime, a goal down, came out in the second half, again, gave away a really cheap shit goal. And once you do that, it's a mountain to climb. You know, it's a mountain to climb against most Premier League outfits, let alone a team as good as Liverpool, a team that are as good at picking you off as Liverpool are with three world-class forwards, with world-class midfielders, with a world-class manager and in front of a world-class crowd at Anfield. It was it was always going to be a tall order. It was always going to be a big ask. And look, if we don't beat Newcastle next week and people want to have a bit of a meltdown about that, then I'm a lot more open to entertaining that viewpoint. But tonight, it's disappointing. We're all disappointed. Me as much as anybody else, we take it. And um, and uh, we got to move on from it. And the great thing about football, a lot of the time, as I always say, is there's always a game the following week to kind of, um, you know, to, to give you the opportunity to put things right. And if Arsenal can do that next weekend with a victory over Newcastle United, then it becomes one defeat in 10. And then you look at it again and you move forward and you hopefully extend that and extend that and extend that and extend that until you come unstuck, until you come up against a team that are much better than you. And that's the way of football, you know, Chelsea uh, were completely schooled at home by Manchester City this season, you know, because they are that good a team, Manchester City, that if they're at it and you're slightly below par, you'll get beat. And And that proves that every team in the Premier League will lose football matches. So to lose one in our last nine, I think is, you know, for me, it's it's a marked improvement on where we were previously. And I mean, if you thought that when we started winning games, we were going to win every one between now and the end of the season, and this was never going to happen, you'd be crazy. I think when it happens against Liverpool, it hurts because it's Liverpool. But I don't think the reaction should be as negative as it would be if it's against a team that we should be beaten. And I don't think this is the team that we should be beaten. It's not a team that we should be beaten uh, or, or that we've had the right to beat uh, for the, uh, a good few years now. You know, we're we're a, we're way back behind Liverpool at this minute in time. And that needs to be acknowledged, if not at least, you know, if not accepted, at least acknowledged. Right, let's take a couple of your questions uh, from the live chat. Drop a couple of questions in there for me and I'll um, I'll pick up a couple just before we wrap up. I'm absolutely knackered, but we are going to be back tomorrow um, with our tactical analysis show. We're going to focus quite a bit on the difference between the press of the two sides because I feel like Arsenal have tried to kind of half-heartedly do it in recent months, but I think we got schooled on it today and I think we saw... Um, exactly how it should be done. And we'll be comparing those as well as talking about um, some uh, other tactical aspects of the game. Just a quick reminder while I'm waiting for a couple of questions uh, to come in. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. There's nearly 200 of you watching us live right now. We've only got 81 likes on the board. Let's get that up to 100. Uh, we're 19 away. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. Make sure you leave us a review if you haven't done so already. Um, a big shout out as well to uh, Tariq Talks, uh, one of our members, um, longtime supporter of the channel as well. Uh, it was his birthday. Uh, it is his birthday. So happy birthday, Tariq, mate. Um, many happy returns. Make sure while he's up on the screen, that you find Tariq's uh, tag in the comments and you click on it and subscribe to his YouTube channel, which is a great uh, new YouTube channel. So make sure you get involved uh, there as well. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Tariq talks with a, a nice super chat donation and he says, is this enough for you to sing happy birthday? No, stick a zero on it. No, I'm joking. Happy birthday to you. There you go, mate. That's as much as you're going to get. I'm not a singer, man. Uh, right. Uh, but no, seriously, happy birthday, but I'm not going to sing you a full happy birthday on here. Uh, what else have we got? Right. Let's take, um, this one from, uh, Kenny. What's your take on Arteta's confrontation with Klopp? Personally, I liked it. Yeah. Look, things like that happen in football, right? Emotions boil over. I think Mikel summed it up brilliantly 
Klopp was defending his team. Arteta was defending his and emotions got high. I liked it as well because it shows that the manager cares. I think this day and age in football, there's a lot of, oh, but do they really care? You know, it's all about the money, et cetera, et cetera. So when you see moments like that, although they're not setting a great example, although they're not necessarily being good role models, it is um, it is refreshing to see that that passion, that fight and that desire is, uh, is there uh, at the elite level still. So, yeah. Omar says, why do we keep playing out from the back when clearly we can't do it? So this was the thing, Omar, today, and, and it, I didn't really want to go into this too much because, as I say, we're going to do the, um, the uh, what's it called, uh, tactical analysis show tomorrow. But the playing out from the back thing, in theory, is good, and I get the theory behind it. What we're struggling with is not necessarily with the ball at our feet across the back line, we're struggling to then break the lines and take advantage of the fact that we've lured the opponent in. We lure them in and we pull them high up the pitch, but then we don't seem to be able to break the line to then um, to then to then take advantage of of what we've created of the situation we've created and create and expose the spaces uh, further up the pitch. So that's the big problem for me. It's not the idea of playing out from the back it's the execution of the breaking of the lines i think that's been a real real issue for arsenal and uh it's something that we'll highlight um you know what let me make a note uh breaking of lines to make sure that we do touch on that in detail on the tactical analysis podcast coming your way live on sunday morning uh, and that'll be available in podcast format from around about midday uh let's take this one uh Arjit says do you think that with this result we should abandon the 4-4-2 in big games our midfield callowness was exposed see i think if thomas Partey was at the races today that isn't as glare that isn't as big of a problem and that's why i was so disappointed to see him like kind of going through the motions, you know, looking half a yard or, or so off the pace. That was what was really disappointing for me. I think a, a fit and a fire in Thomas Partey and maybe even with a, a better, more experienced, more dominating partner alongside him. I think that you can do that because I think the the role that Tommy Asu plays in the fact that we do push the fullbacks on and we, uh, the left back on and we, we shape shift, don't we, in certain situations. I think that would allow us to still provide sufficient cover to those two midfield players. But I just don't think they were at the races today. And and that was a problem. Again, I don't think it's necessarily a system issue. I think it's more a performance issue on the day. And um, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, to um, to always know what you're going to get, especially from young players, especially from players still very much developing. But we are where we are. Chin up, everybody. Because uh, we are taking on Newcastle United next week at the Emirates Stadium. It's a game that hopefully we can we can pick up all three points from. And if we do, then it ma- makes it much easier to draw a line in the sand after this one and move on and focus on the future, focus on what's to come uh, and focus on some difficult games that we've got coming up. They don't get much more difficult than Anfield away. Um, and uh, while the result was frustrating... And the result was very disappointing in the end. I'm not going to say I saw things to be encouraged from because I think that's a bit disingenuous. You know, there, there were some things in the first half that were quite good. But I think overall, we didn't really learn too much about Arsenal today other than we're still not at the level required to challenge with the likes of Liverpool, City and Chelsea. But ultimately, that's not the level most of us expect us to be at. We're looking to be the best of the rest. We're looking to compete for a spot in the top six, in my opinion. If we can nick the top four, great bonus. But top six is what we should be aiming for. And I still think we can achieve that regardless of what we saw today. And that's uh, that's my kind of final thought. So chill out, relax, sleep it off. We go again and um, we dust ourselves off and we go again. Right, I'll be back tomorrow, as I mentioned, or later on today for listening via the audio platform with the Tactical Analysis Podcasts. No, mince my words. Tactical Analysis Podcast, uh, in which we'll be looking back at the game once I've had a chance to watch it again in full. We'll be focusing on a number of elements, which include um, Liverpool's press and the difference between the way they do it and the way we try to do it. We'll be talking about Arsenal's kind of mixed game plan, um, which I thought was... 
I don't know how much of it was planned and how much of it was uh, reaction to the circumstance. So we'll try and work that out as well. Um, so we'll be doing a bit of that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, our inability or struggles to break the lines. Uh, and there's lots and lots and lots to, to unpack. So I look forward to that one tomorrow. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, for those of you watching us live, good night for everybody else. Take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.